Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. This happened to my sister back in 2011 when she was a student at a not-so-nice engineering college in the south of India. The college had made headlines quite a few times for a few different reasons, which would be appropriate for listeners of Let's Not Meet. But anyways, on to the story. The college had this creepy aura to it, including the staff. They all looked like characters from a grim novel. The college itself was located in a very odd place. It had a thick patch of woods right behind it. Nothing but dense trees and darkness. By the time my sister had enrolled there, all the rooms in the girls' dormitory were full. Except room 432. This room had a weird moss kind of smell to it, with actual patches of green moss on the walls here and there. The walls were poorly painted and were chipping off at every corner. The room had also witnessed the suicide of a girl who lived there a year before my sister did, and another who lived in the room but jumped off the roof of the four-story building. So basically, the last two residents of room 432 ended up dead. But my sister did not know about this at the time. The room was very gloomy, and nobody, and I mean nobody, wanted that room, and those who did ended up vacating in less than a month. My sister had no choice but to accept the room assigned to her, completely oblivious to all the creepy things there. All the dorm rooms had three people living in them, but my sister remained the only person to stay there by herself for a while. Now, according to my sister, the room was located at the very end of a square, bracket-shaped dorm building. The A end had shower rooms and a few more rooms beside it, and my sister lived at the B end of the building. There was a broom closet right next to her room, and the janitor would often walk past her door. There were two girls living right across from her room, whose names she couldn't recall, but I'll just call them Jane and Janet. My sister is the type of girl who is friendly to everyone, but doesn't make friends easily. So she just kept to herself most of the time. Jane and Janet were pretty outgoing and had friends over most nights. The long corridor overlooked the woods, so there wasn't exactly any place you could sneak off to and the corridor had no fully functioning bulbs, so it'd get really dark out there, 
and the view of the woods made it even more creepy. Occasionally, the corridor would have moonlight as the only source of light, so most students just used flashlights to walk past it, or didn't do so at all. One night, my sister was in her room catching up with her syllabus, while Jane and Janet had some friends over. Their door was wide open, while my sister's door was cracked open just a little. When, all of a sudden, my sister hears glass being smashed hard onto the floor. The sound was so loud that she was startled and thought it was right outside her door. She assumed that someone from Jane and Janet's room might have accidentally dropped something. She opened her door to find Jane and a few of her friends too, at the door, looking at my sister with very confused looks on their faces, the same look my sister had on her face. My sister asked Jane if somebody had broken something, before Jane interrupted, saying that they heard the sound of smashing glass and thought it was my sister who dropped a glass. They all grew very confused while speaking about this and eventually left after a few minutes. Jane's friends left a while later and they went to bed while my sister went back to studying with her door still ajar. A couple of minutes later, my sister heard a very faint but still audible sound coming from the corridor. It sounded as if somebody was sweeping pieces of broken glass off the floor. She just assumed that someone from the other end of the building had something to do with it, but something about it did not sit right with my sister, because the corridor was quite long, and the sound being that loud didn't make sense. But she let it go. Then, a few minutes later, she heard it again. This time the sound was clear and louder. My sister assumed that it had to be the janitor sweeping it as the trash can and broom closet were right next to her room. She thought it was weird for the janitor to be staying this late but didn't think much of it and expected to see her as the sound grew closer. But then the sound became clearer, yet she saw no one. So my sister walked to the door, still listening to the sound of the glass, and saw nobody. She stood at the door for a second, thinking that maybe she had just imagined it. But no, the sound of the glass was clear and loud and was still there, but nobody was to be seen. The corridor was dark and very dimly lit but bright enough to see someone moving or standing in that part of the corridor. My sister was genuinely questioning her senses for a second because it was still essentially empty. She went back inside and shut the door as she started to get this weird feeling that she was somehow being watched by someone when she was staring into the dark corridor. She just couldn't shake the feeling that there was somebody there, and she had trouble sleeping that night. The next day, after class, my sister noticed Jane and Janet talking to some girls who lived at the other end of the building. They told my sister about how they heard somebody smash a glass last night outside their door, 
and how somebody had been sweeping the glass in the corridor. They assumed it came from the other end of the building, while my sister and Jane and Janet thought it came from the opposite end. They were all pretty disturbed by this and talked about it for a few days, wondering about the strange thing that happened last night. My sister was still alone in her room with no roommates, but felt a little better knowing Jane and Janet were still there, as most students were going home for the holidays. A week later, Janet ran into my sister and asked her if she had anybody stay over with her a few days ago. My sister said no, but didn't ask the reason behind Janet's weird question. A few days later, Janet and Jane both caught up with my sister after class and asked her about her study nights for the past week or so. My sister was clueless about everything they said. She finally had to clear the air and asked a little more about the whole thing. And guess what? Apparently, for the last two weeks, Jane, Janet, and a few of their friends have been hearing voices coming from my sister's room late at night. They thought she had company over, hence Janet's question. And then they kept hearing voices for a few nights in a row. It sounded like somebody was talking in a very steady voice, and the lights in my sister's room were on. So they all assumed my sister either had company over, or that she had been staying up late to catch up on her syllabus and was just reading out loud. Except, none of that was true. My sister typically avoided staying up late at night because of her early classes and preferred studying during the early hours of the morning. And the time that the girls mentioned was, without a doubt, when my sister was sleeping. So, whose voices were the girls hearing? And what light did they see, but not my sister? The girls mentioned hearing voices for the next several days and swore seeing lights turn on and off in the middle of the night. And they were sure my sister wasn't alone. But she was, supposedly. Then one day, when Janet and Jane came into my sister's room, telling her once again what they noticed a night ago, my sister told them to just knock on the door and wake her up the next time they heard or saw something. They all agreed, and the girls were visibly creeped out and very concerned for my sister, who was still pretty unfazed. Nothing happened that night, but the next night had my sister questioning a few things. As Jane and Janet had agreed, they knocked frantically on my sister's door while they saw lights turn on and off and kept hearing voices inside like there was an active conversation going on. My sister woke up from a very deep sleep, hearing the loud bangs from the girls. She opened the door to them, and they both looked at her with wide eyes, as my sister was visibly awoken by them and nothing else. They looked at her for a second before almost yelling at her, asking her if she really did not see the lights turn on and off in her room or hear the voices. That is when my sister really woke up and looked around. The lights in her room were on, 
the same ones that she made sure to turn off before she went to bed. My sister was definitely spooked, but managed not to vacate the room as she went on with life there for three more months before eventually quitting the course for a better one, earning a master's in biotechnology. Even though it happened a decade ago, this incident gave chills to my sister when she shared it with me. About 30 years ago, my parents and I lived near a very industrial area in Australia. I won't go into details of exactly where in Australia for obvious reasons. I was a teenager and my parents worked very long hours. My father was the head electrician of a multinational company that produced a wide range of goods, including products involved in nuclear medicine, which meant the nuclear material was being stored on-site at his workplace. His job was very important. If a machine went down, the company lost millions of dollars for every minute it wasn't working. So my dad had access to pretty much everywhere on-site. The place was always running, 24 hours a day, so he worked shifts and was on-call as well. The security for this place was intense, Shifts were staggered so that there were never too many people clocking on or off at the same time. You would begin your shift by driving up to the first security check-in. The car would be weighed and scanned or searched at random. The security guards would check you in, check your ID, and you would enter a private pin into the system to register that you were on site. You would now be inside the first fence. From there, they would park in their specifically designated car spots, which were changed every day. Next, you go to the staff changing rooms, also fully guarded. You would shower and remove all clothing and personal property, jewelry, wigs, dentures, everything. Your stuff would be stored in your locker, and the company provided full uniforms that were laundered on-site every day. Even your ID and keys for your car would be left in your locker. The guards would watch and give random searches if they thought anybody was acting suspiciously. Apparently, one time a guy tried to smuggle something up his butt into the facility and tried to cause an explosion. After that, the security got very particular about searching everyone. After that, you'd go up to the guard and you'd enter a password. A different password was issued each day for the following day, and only to those who were meant to be on site. This was to ensure that everyone was where they were meant to be at any given time, and no staff got the idea to try and come in on their day off and risk nuclear theft. Next, the guards would check your fingerprints and hand you keys, key cards, and on-site IDs that you would need for the day. For my father, that meant keys and key cards that would access everything, so he was searched almost every time. Then you would pass through a second fence. Here, there was a small open-air courtyard guarded against every angle to get to the front door of the main building. There was a guard at the front of the door that did a final ID and pin check, and if you got through all of that, 
you were on to your job and into the next location that stored a high amount of very high quality nuclear material. The process was reversed when you left each day. It could easily take an hour each time. I'm not sure what security would be like on a site like that nowadays, but that's how it was 30 years ago on this site. So my dad, a complete skeptic and hardworking electrician, is on his early morning shift this particular week in question. It means that he finds himself driving to work at 4.30 in the morning, down a long road. It's a fairly major road, because it leads to the industrial zone. There are always trucks and cars going back and forth, but once it gets out of the suburbs that are closest to the industrial zone, the road is just surrounded by bushland. There have been a lot of weird sightings in that area, and my father believed none of it. Until one morning, 30 years ago, he pulled out of our driveway, turned the corner onto this major road, and saw a sudden bright light appear behind him. It was a foggy morning, so he had his high beams on and could barely see anything in front of him. The road was often quieter at this time of the morning, but it was unusually deserted this time, except for the bright light behind him. He thought that it was a truck with its high beams on. It didn't take long to be out of the suburbs and get into the bushland. The bright light followed him, but he realized that it was a little too high off the ground to be a truck. He figured it might be a helicopter, but there was no sound. And then it started to rise higher into the sky. My dad said that everything became so bright that he thought that he would go blind. He slammed the brakes on and covered his eyes. And then he remembers nothing. Until it's 10.30 a.m., and he's in the courtyard, walking towards the main building of his workplace, in work overalls, but with his own car keys in his pocket alongside with the work ID and key cards. But there was no record of him ever entering the compound. The building guard said that he walked out of the change rooms, but the guard in the change rooms said he was never even there. And they never gave him overalls or a key card. The first fence guard never checked in his car, but his car was parked in the car park, in the correct car spot for that day. They have no idea how he got past so much security without being seen at all. After weeks of questioning and investigating, they couldn't figure it out, and my dad to this day has no idea what happened to him between the hours of 4.30 and 10.30 a.m., 30 years ago. He's not a skeptic anymore. It's good to tell my dad's story. We don't talk about it because it was a hard time in our lives. The questioning that followed that incident was very intrusive on our family and, frankly, quite terrifying. They thought that he was a terrorist or a spy with advanced technology or something. The thing I remember most about the incident was my dad being missing for a few days while he was being questioned by the police. My mom and I were very worried, to say the least, and they searched our house thoroughly, inside and out. It was a very intense moment for us, but in the end, they found nothing untoward, and he just went back to work. That road still has a lot of stories, mystery, and criminal activity surrounding it. I'm glad I don't live there anymore.
I had a lot of nightmares as a kid, more often than dreams. I experienced a lot of sleep paralysis because of this. It always involved animals for some reason, and it was terrifying because I would wake up scared from a nightmare, frozen in place, unable to move, and my brain would take whatever animal was in the nightmare, and I would see it standing in the room with me, or standing on my bed. It scared me, but over time I realized that they weren't real, because they didn't seem like they were actually there. It was more like an afterimage you get when you stare at a bright light and then close your eyes. They were always animals, except for the first few experiences I had. I moved around a lot as a kid, and at one point when I was about five, my mom and I lived in an apartment in the same town I live in now. I wasn't thinking about scary stuff that much when I was so young. I don't even think I knew what death was at that age, or what ghosts were really supposed to be. There were several times at this apartment when I would wake up in a state similar to my later sleep paralysis moments. Except, there were differences. I could move. I felt more awake. And the thing in the room with me was humanoid. A dark, shadowy figure of a person with no discernible features. And it would just be standing there, watching me. Its presence in the room enveloped everything. It was like it weighed the whole room down, made the air thick, and I was always so cold when it was there. It was, of course, scary, and I would just hide under the covers from it. Every time I woke up to it, I wanted to scream out for my mom, but I had this overwhelming sense that if I made any noise... That's when it would lunge forward and get me. Sometimes I would wake up facing it. Other times I would be facing away, but I could feel it standing behind me. There was only one time where there was more than one. The bedroom had a sliding glass door that led out to a patio. On this particular night, I woke up facing the door and curtains, and there was just enough moonlight shining through that I could make out three separate figures standing behind the curtain, just watching. I could also feel another shadow presence standing behind me. So there were four that night. I remember being so scared, not knowing which way I should turn, not wanting to face the other direction. I never saw any movement on any of these nights, but they were so defined and the feeling was so strong that I never had any doubt that they were actually in the room with me. They felt very much present in the room, like a real person, whereas I knew the animals at other places later on were nightmare products. Here's the freaky part. The apartment is attached to a nursing home where my mom worked at the time, where the elderly stayed until they died. Many people who worked there talked about paranormal experiences, especially during night shifts. So I can't help but wonder, was it some kind of sleep paralysis? Or did I have visitors 
long after visiting hours were over. In the few years before my grandma died, she and my mom moved into a little cabin house off of a lake. The house was kind of dumpy and needed a lot of work, but the view was amazing. We hung out a lot on the deck over the lake. The owners were two older brothers whose parents had lived there at one point. It sounded like they died there too, but that didn't bother any of us. The place was ours, on the condition that we didn't mind if they shared the deck space. They also had a tiny cabin next door that they would occasionally hang out in, where they kept their fishing gear and other shit like that. Cool, no worries. They minded their business, and our family minded ours. The first summer my mom and grandma got to know the brothers very well. It got to the point where they would regularly be coming over to hang out with my grandma and eat meals with my family. That was cool, whatever. Wholesome and shit. It also became clear that these brothers had a pretty bad substance dependency issue. They got absolutely sloshed daily and they would regularly go out and drive in that oh-so-disturbing way that's normalized in Wisconsin. The older of the two brothers actually died a few years in due to liver failure. He was a kind man. He just couldn't stop. The younger brother was never the same after this. His own drinking began to ramp up. He sold his house and ended up just living in the tiny cabin next door. His disconnect from his children grew. My grandma became sort of a mother figure to him, and when she died, he just stopped functioning. Obviously, losing her was awful for us too, but that's not what this story is about. He stopped working, drank every day, all day. It's suspected that he was doing harder drugs as well. I stopped coming over. I told my mom that I loved her, but I get very uncomfortable around drunk, loud men. It was that, but also that something just felt off. The house no longer felt like the warm, welcoming place that I had made so many memories in. A pretty normal thing after a loss, but it was more than that. His behavior was more erratic. He became very shitty toward my mom. He would scream at himself in his cabin at night, He'd randomly pull out his guns and shoot over the lake. Eventually, a roommate and her younger daughter moved in with my mom to help with the bills. He would randomly show up and scream at them. It got so bad that he started coming over and threatening the dogs, even the kid. Not long after this, my mom started to move out. She could not and should not take that kind of abuse. A mentally unstable guy with Substance issues is the easy explanation, but that's not why this situation is weird. My mom started engaging in erratic behaviors as well. A notable instance was her flying into a fit of rage and throwing a chair across the room. I didn't witness this, but the next time I visited, I saw chunks taken out of the wall. I also knew this was out of character for my mom. She is almost annoyingly kind and generally level-headed. She kept telling me something was wrong with the house, that there was a dark energy. And I thought, 
Yeah, or it could be that your psychotic landlord is terrorizing you and you're still grieving after a loss. That was until I felt this energy myself. I drove up for a weekend to help her pack and move the remainder of her things. I'll never forget that feeling of walking in. The air felt physically heavy, to the point where it was a struggle to breathe. It felt like your body feels right before you have a panic attack. This place was not the home that I came to visit every couple of weeks. I didn't even recognize this place. It literally looked darker. I couldn't shake the feeling in my gut that we needed to get out of there. And get out of there fast. I had never been so uncomfortable and frightened in my life. We just left the rest of her stuff. We drove the hour to her new place in silence. A lot of this can be explained away, but the feeling can't. Something was in that house. Felt it in my bones. I believe that whatever was in that house, to this day, also affected the landlord and my mom. It had a hand in making them something that they weren't. I shudder to think what might have happened if she stayed. And anyway, that's my scary story that just came back to me while I was out on a walk tonight. I don't know what it is, but I hope I never have to experience it again. Now, this story is probably a lot different than most stories you've heard. It's not a scary one or anything of the type. We've always had a ghost living in our house. His name is Samuel. My mom says he came with my grandparents and her when they moved here in the 90s, coming from another town to my childhood home. Now, I know people who have spirits living in their house probably are going to talk about terrifying experiences, but nothing of the sort ever happened with Samuel. He is more like the house guardian than anything else. In all instances he ever interacted with me, it was to take care of me. The most obvious one was five years ago. I was having what at the time felt like the worst day of my life. One of my friends and classmates had passed away, and my depression was already at an all-time low, and getting worse. I got home later than normal, and made myself some tea. Remember this later. And when I sat down to study, I couldn't find my favorite pen. I know it sounds stupid, but combining that with the day I just had, I broke down. It was like the little drop that made the cup overflow. I searched for that pen like a madwoman, upturned my backpack, ripped everything out of my drawers, searched everywhere, and still, I couldn't find it. I just sat on the stairs and cried for an hour straight. I remember sobbing and rocking back and forth, trying to comfort myself. After I managed to calm down, I got up and walked upstairs so I could take a bath, once again, crying for what felt like hours. After what was maybe three hours since I got home, 
I came downstairs again and remembered I forgot to drink my tea before my breakdown. So I go to pop it in the microwave so I can at least have that comfort, only to find that my tea was still perfectly warm. Even after sitting out in a normal mug on the counter for hours, and my lost pen was placed right beside the mug. There have been other instances, like windows closing by themselves when it starts raining suddenly, things that previously disappeared, reappearing, if you ask nicely. My mom also says that she clearly remembers days when I was an infant where I would suddenly stop crying as if I was being comforted before she could get to me, and even being a very slippery toddler that loved to run around, I never once fell down the stairs or on any of the steps in the house. In any case, Samuel has been protecting me for 20 years and the house for even longer, and I think he'll keep doing so for a while. I don't talk to many people about this because I know most people won't believe it. Thankfully, I was not alone when it happened. I was with my stepsister. We still talk about it sometimes. I think about it often since it's the only weird, possibly alien or paranormal thing that has ever happened to me. I still have no idea what to make of it. It happened about six years ago. I was working a late shift at the fast food restaurant, and I went off work at about midnight or 1 a.m. After work, I usually hung out with my stepsister for a few hours in the night since she had the same sleep schedule as me. We both lived with our parents at the time. She lived with her mom, and I lived with my mom and her dad. After work, around midnight, I used to drive to her house and we would hang out in my car outside of her house so as not to wake up her mom. We used to just listen to music in the car and talk and smoke cigarettes. One night, as we were sitting in the car, just talking, I saw a light outside on the street in front of us. It was a few meters in front of our car. It was very dark outside, but the street was lit up by streetlights. The light looked like it was cracked, or like when you would squint, the light would get wide and stretched out horizontally. It kind of looked like when someone with astigmatism looks at the light. I apologize for the bad explanation, also. I don't have astigmatism. The light was very pale, almost a yellow color, kind of white. It was moving a bit back and forth, and I looked at it while we were talking for about five to ten minutes or so. I thought that it was a light reflecting off the windshield or something, and I didn't think too much of it. While I'm looking at it, my sister Rebecca says, Do you see that? She had been looking at it too. I sat straight up in my driver's seat and I realized that the light was not a reflection of anything. It was just a stretched out light, hovering about fifty or so centimeters above the ground sometimes moving slowly at about one mile back and forth. 
We stare at it for a few minutes, trying to figure out what it is, while getting kind of freaked out. Finally, we decide to get out of the car and have a look. The light was right in front of the car on the passenger side, where she was sitting. So we got out, and it was about three meters in front of Rebecca. When we got out, the light was still there. It wasn't some kind of reflection. It felt like some kind of independent being, almost. She took a step forward, and the light started to slowly move towards her, still hovering quite low above the ground. Suddenly, when it was about one meter in front of her, it disappeared. We didn't see it again that night, or any other night since. We were both sober when this happened. We talked about it for a long time, and we could not come up with any good or plausible explanation for what the light could be, where it came from, or where it went. I always keep my eyes open after that, and I have a feeling I'm going to see it again sometime. So I recently went on the Morbid podcast with Ash and Elena and uh, told some Let's Not Meet stories along with some Odd Trails stories because I wasn't clear on exactly what we were going to be doing on my episode appearance there. We had talked about doing it for months. And when I went on with some Let's Not Meet stories, they actually told some true paranormal stories. So I was like, have you guys heard of my podcast Odd Trails? And I ended up telling an odd trail story on there, but it spurred this conversation between the three of us about lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences. And I actually had an out-of-body experience right after this conversation with them that night. I woke up the next morning and I was still in that state of sleep paralysis and I felt all the vibrations that you normally feel when you're about to have an out-of-body experience and this was the easiest time I've ever had getting out of body. I actually was able to do it consciously without doing it by mistake. I was I was completely in control of, of everything. Interesting. And what triggered it to happen this way? You know, what? I don't know what triggered it. I came out of a dream. And you know how when you come out of a dream, you remember the dream and then you wake up and then slowly the dream starts to fade away in your memory. Right, right. You try to chase after it. Yeah. Exactly. So I actually tried to stay in the dream, mm -hmm. but I couldn't. So I ended up waking up, but I was still in sleep paralysis and not fully awake. My body wasn't awake. Normally with my out-of-body experiences, I would find myself out of my body or right, I would right. roll out of my body by mistake or something. This time I was actually aware while the vibrations were happening, and I slowly just floated up from my body. But the weird thing was my hands got stuck. Like my astral hands got stuck inside of my physical hands. And that hmm. that's what was stopping me from fully getting out of my body. I pulled really hard and focused super hard on my hands, and I finally got out. And when I did, I just kind of rolled over like I normally end up doing. And I was able to look over and see my body. Everything was really dark, though. For some reason, whenever I have out-of-body experiences, I, I read about other people, like in Robert Monroe's books, how everything's how they see everything like it is, like normally, but everything's just a little weirder. It's just a little off, yeah. Yeah, for me, 
everything's really dark. It's like the lights are out, even though it was completely daylight when I woke up. But everything's so dark. I can see like a Tron, um, what's the right word, fluorescent version of my body on the bed. It's not free, hmm. like it's not like a physical body. It's like this weird glowing mass on my bed and everything around me is dark. It's like I'm in this weird abyss. But anyways, I looked at my body and I was like, ooh, I've got things I have to do today. <laughs> so <laughs> I jumped right back in my body instead of doing anything cool like I should have and then woke right up. But I was conscious through the whole thing, even through going back into my body and waking up. It was like instant. It was like I zapped right back into my body. And it was for sure a conscious event in the sense that it wasn't just a dream is what I'm trying to get at. Yes. I was fully aware that I had woken up from my dream and was in my body and in my bed, in my room. I was completely wow, aware. Nice. I just stopped myself from waking up completely. That's like lucid beyond lucid. You're reaching the pinnacle there. Yeah, going from a lucid dream to an astral projection. Mm -hmm. It's happened to me before, but never so clean, never so calculated. Like I was in such control. Normally that doesn't happen for me. Normally it's by mistake and it's been so long since it's ever, or since it's happened last. It was really cool. It was really neat. Oh yeah, love that. But that's what you get when you have a podcast uh, about things like this called Odd Trails. I love the name of our podcast, by the way. It's... Like it rolls off the tongue so well. Funny story too, because people have actually been asking, or for a while I've been answering, but I figure now would be a good time to share the origin of the name Odd Trails. Well, it's a, it's a bit messy because we thought we were going to launch like a year before we actually launched. And that gave us so much time to plan and put things together. And I think the hardest part of starting the podcast was coming up with the name. Yeah, yeah. And it was a bit of a science experiment how we came up with it if uh you remember how it went down right over discord yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the list of names the list of names yeah so i took out a piece of paper and wrote down a bunch of words on the left side and on the right side like basically adjectives and nouns things like spooky creepy bizarre and then stories journeys i don't know clubhouse I just started reading off random pairings of each word on each side of the paper. And I think one of the very first ones was Odd Trails. And you lit up like a Christmas tree there, brother. You loved that name. Yeah, I loved it. it stuck. Stuck like glue to a chimpanzee. One of the ones we were actually pretty set on, which was on the the final list, was Cryptic County. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was trying to think of a name for the podcast production company, I just went with second place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's the second place mm -hmm. for that one. But yeah, I'm glad we went with Odd Trails. It's such a good name. It's such a it's such a good uh, appropriate title for what we ended up doing here on the show. It's really evolved to something just weird and bigger than I ever thought it would be. Anyways, yeah, the stories this week were crazy. Uh, your story about the uh, the missing kind of like uh, touched on the missing object phenomena. A bit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I had that one story by the individual who had a visitor named Samuel. Samuel. That was really interesting how the mm -hmm. the tea was still hot after three hours of being left alone, and then the pen just appearing right there where she left it. I don't know how many times that's happened to me, maybe two or three times, like a serious, like yeah. actual, no explanation. I had this object. It's just gone. Or it reappears somewhere where I've checked either a thousand times or where it should have never been and nobody else could have placed it there. Things like that. Um, but I know you had something like that happen to you recently. Yeah. So recently, 
Pickles, the clown doll, uh, went missing and I was terrified that she took off. I couldn't find her. I, I have to keep her in the closet. As I've said in the past, my wife is scared of her. Uh, the dogs are scared of her. So I just keep her in the closet and pull her out to spook people every once in a while. Um, but I was digging through the closet looking for some cables and she wasn't where I left her. So I opened all of my bins that I have in the closet. I pulled everything out of the closet and I could not find her. She was under my desk. I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember pulling her out. It was the craziest thing. So I left her there and coincidentally, we started talking about haunted dolls on Morbid. And I was just like, hold on a second. I lost my haunted doll in my closet. I never pull it out because everyone here in the house is so scared of it. And I come sit, to sit down and record with Morbid and it's under my desk. So I obviously introduced them to Pickles. They loved Pickles, took some pictures. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, Pickles just disappeared and then reappeared under my desk. No idea how she got there. Super weird, but anyways, thank you all so much for listening. This week you have heard The Creepy Dorm by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. My Dad's Story by Emma. Visitors in My Room by Rachel. Darkness on the Lake by Sam. The Ghost That Lives Under the Stairs by Crow. And finally, The Floating Light in Front of My Car by Lisa. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And don't forget to sign up on our Patreon if you want to get the ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe. Peace out. Don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling.